Hey guys, this is Mike Shields, and this week on Next in Marketing, I spoke to sports media expert John Kozner about how leagues like the NBA are struggling to turn fan engagement on platforms like Instagram and Twitter into actual viewership, and how a generation raised in Fortnite is threatening sports advertising economics. John also talks about why we're seeing so much volatility among media SPACs, and why he wants to see more QR codes on TV ads. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppSquire. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is John Kozner of Kozner Media. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Great. I'm really excited you're here. Um, John, I, I've, I've known for a long time, although we haven't, we haven't seen each other in quite a while, but John was a long time ESPN executive who now you've got your own media consultancy. You're involved in a whole bunch of, you're involved in a, in a SPAC. John, tell, tell the, let's just tell everybody who you are and give me, give me a little one-on-one on, on what you're up to these days. So hi everyone. Um, I'm a four decade veteran of sports media. I grew up and live in New York City. And after I got out of college, I worked at CBS Sports in TV programming. Then during the Dream Team era, I was in charge of broadcasting at the National Basketball Association. And for those of you who watched the Michael Jordan documentary, those were my years. I was at most of those games. And I worked for David Stern, who was the longtime commissioner of the NBA. I went from the NBA to Sports Illustrated, where we started a television unit that was a complete disaster, and I got fired out of there. But luckily, I researched- That was with CNN, I think, right? Or or am I wrong? This was actually right before uh, the uh, Time Inc., uh, Time Warner merger that created CNNSI. And I went from there to ESPN, where I was- spent over 20 years. The last 15, I ran digital and then digital and print media. So all of the non-TV radio businesses for ESPN. So in the case of of ESPN Digital Media, that was ESPN.com, the app, fantasy games, streaming, podcasting, the launch of direct-to-consumer services, which is now ESPN+. I left there in June of 17, And the first person who called me after I left ESPN was David Stern, my former boss, who, having retired from the NBA, became a venture capitalist. And we wound up working together for two years, creating a little portfolio of sports tech startups, which we call micromanagement ventures, which if you're familiar with David, you would get the you would get the humor in that. And. That was a lot of fun. David sadly had a cerebral hemorrhage in December of 2019. He died on New Year's Day 2020, just the start of what was a very, very difficult year for everybody. I have stayed involved with the majority of the companies that I originally invested with David and have added new ones. And so I do a variety of things today. I'm an investor and advisor in sports tech startups. As you mentioned, um, I've joined one of the SPACs, which is called 890 Fifth Avenue Partners and is run by a fellow named Adam Rothstein. We can talk more about that later, if you like. And Greg Coleman's involved in that one, I think. Greg Coleman's involved. And um, 
I write articles uh, with my friend Ed Desser, who formerly from the NBA and is now a top sports consultant on sports media. I write articles about sports and games with a friend named Jay Moses, who is on the board of Take Two. And I also do consulting projects for companies like Sport Radar and expert witness work for some of the top law firms. So much, much different than my corporate job, but very, very interesting and keeps me in the mix of things that I care about. So that's not, a little bit of the background. I, I did not know about the patients. expert witness work. Um, you're like you're like a guy from SVU or something that they call it. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. It, the reason I um, I reached out among other among many other reasons what you uh, is some of the writing you've been doing the last few months has been really um, super thought provoking and I and I think um, you've been you've been talking about some things that that have not been at the forefront so I wanted I'd love to get into some of that with you John if we could and I think one of them that struck me is is the in this in the media world we're obsessed with who's got sports rights and what's going to happen next and we're also I think everyone's obsessed with the with the state of television and where it's going and right now right now linear television is being propped up the tel much of the television advertising business let me say is being propped up by sports yeah things are really changing and it, sometimes i wonder if that masks things that are going on bigger trends and i'm wondering if you could talk about some, one of the bigger trends you've been looking at which is how sports broadcasts look and whether they are whether they are built for the next couple of generations so it's been a poorly kept secret for the last 10 years or more that young audiences, especially audiences who grew up with the iPhone as a reality in their lives. So I have three children, 29, 25, and 13. I'm remarried. Okay. And you've got a nice little demo range there. And you're, I in your have life. a nice little yeah. demo range. And all, all the children are into technology, but my 13-year-old, Luke, it's, it's even more profound. And Michael, you know, you, you and I grew up in an era of media scarcity. When I was my son's age, I was worried about being bored. That's just not a factor anymore. There's more experiences, more videos, more everything possible today. We live in an era of abundance, and it's totally changed things. The, the, the practical effect for sports is that you could, you could see from, you know, a decade on that younger audiences were not as engaged, not as passionate, not watching the same amount of games, etc. And sports largely has not done that much to address that issue. And it's now reached a point where it's past being a problem. It's just, it's just, it's just behavioral. The, the, the current audience that's say 35 to 54 still looks a little like me and what I grew up with in terms of how much they watch or care about sports, but kind of falls off the cliff when you get younger than that. And that, and that's sort of, I'm sorry to interrupt you, that that's hidden the, uh, that the fact that that middle core audience is still pretty strong has made well that's still we still have a lot that's the only thing that works in live television that's working that's great right. that's where these rights are but it's it's sort of it's it's sort of covering over what's going on under underneath right 
My dad, uh, Ed Kosner, is a newspaper and magazine editor. He's retired now, and he now writes book reviews for the Wall Street Journal. He has this expression, which I, which I love, called the least worst alternative. And so you ask yourself, why do, why do people make these decisions? And the answer is, frequently in life, you just have two bad decisions. You tend to choose the least worst. And we can look at the numbers and 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 we can decide how to how to parse them but um there's there's a fair degree of wishful thinking and and short-term thinking that goes on and so when you look at sports today i would argue that the experience of watching sports really hasn't changed that much since I fell in love watching sports on television in the 1970s. Yeah, the replay technology is much more amazing, the quality of the pictures, but the games still look fairly similar, fairly identical, and they look much, much different than watching watching a streamer playing games on Twitch, which right. has become a big magnet for young viewers. And the fact is that sports offers really a lack of choice today. We, you know, you know, we're really restricted as to where we can find the games. We have to pay a certain price for them. We can't, we can't um, create content around the games and share that really. That's really, that's, that's fairly cut off and it's flying in in the in the in, in a different not not necessarily opposite but a different direction from where much of the young fan base is well do you think i think about this a lot is it because like i feel like sports media is sort of built to just like it was it's the it was the couch potato potato media it was like yeah. sit there for hours and just soak it in and it was great if you liked if you loved it so I wonder, I wonder if a few things is for the younger generation, is it simply the, it's not participatory enough where they're used to being part of their media experience? Is it too long? Are there too many commercial interruptions? Is it all these things? Like, what do you think? It's all missing? these things. It's all these things. And the audience, the younger audience now has options and choices. So as I observe it, video games, is eating eating the lunch of the entire industry, yeah. and is providing sort of a a mechanism now to sort of illustrate to us what the future of media is and how different and out of touch sports seems. And 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 again, it would be easy. It's you could take a look at what's going on and say, "Geez, how could you say that when the NFL?" had such a quantum increase over the over their previous deals right and you know the nfl today is the only entity probably the only entity on television that still delivers a guaranteed rating that that's substantial really from september through the through the start of february but even the NFL during the COVID year, every NFL, every NFL uh, part of the season was actually down in ratings. Right. And the ratings for the Super Bowl, even though you had this dream matchup between um, Tom Brady 
homes, you know, uh, on a just a dreadful day in terms of weather around the country. That was the lowest rating, just a linear TV rating since 1969. Yeah, so that's, that's not so, great. And, and it's been a 10 year thing with in terms of the Super Bowl for younger people being down, which is right. Surprised so, me. so it's, you know, again, and I would juxtap, I would compare the experience of watching the Super Bowl with my son's ability to play Fortnite or Roblox or Minecraft in, you know, you know, in a live experience with his, um, with his friends, with no latency ability to play that together. Um, there's all this possibility for sports, but I think it has to be built and relying on the traditional ways that we distribute it and produce it is not going to be good enough. Right. Um, so that brings me to the, there, were, there was recent news um, with, with yeah, the, some of the NFL packages came up for renewal and Amazon jumped in. Um, they, they were, Amazon has had streamed games that were also on broadcast or cable previously, but now they've, they've got, they're going to have the, their, the rights on their own to Thursday nights. So I wonder a couple of questions on that is that they, they didn't go for like, they didn't take the whole thing. They didn't, you know, like, you know, take the NFC away from Fox or like go right. crazy, but, but they're definitely, you know, they tend to try stuff and then go big. How excited are you about that in terms just besides it's, it's exciting in the, in the business, but what they they might do to, to the way the product is presented or delivered. Listen, I think it's the biggest development in our industry since Fox took the NFC package from CBS back in, I believe, 1993, I think, mm-hmm. was the year that they, that they took it away. You could argue that, say, Red Zone as like a development of a new, a new viewing experience, you know, in that time was also like incredibly important. But I'm really excited. I'm really excited that Amazon made this move. They made it long term. It's a billion dollars a year. They got exclusive rights to the games. They're, 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 they're you know, they're taking it a year earlier, which, which is also a good, um, a good development for the industry. And I'm fascinated to see what they are going to do because they're attached to Twitch. They have AWS. They have IMDb TV. They have lots of other Prime Video. There are lots of other experiences. X-Ray. They they're 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 in real position with the brain power, the 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 um, the financial support to present a new view for NFL and and for sports so i this to me is super interesting i'm sure they feel under considerable pressure and expectation but they have the opportunity to change the to change the look and feel right because and I like, believe like, they will. yeah because like the fox example you mentioned this is them starting from scratch like they don't have, they have to have a whole production crew and business this isn't them using someone else's feed or right. something so I they can totally they do it have, differently if they want yeah. You know, uh, Michael, I remember when David Hill put the score box, the Fox bug yeah. up on the, you know, up on the screen. It was like, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, you know, that seems intrusive. And you can't imagine scores now, sports without that. No, so, if you watch an old game that doesn't have that, you're like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> what's going on there? So, so I, um, I, I think Amazon's going to do something, you know, of that kind of, significance 
when they get started. Yeah, I mean, do you, it's it's they don't say much about what they're going to do, but do you imagine? I have no, I have no inside knowledge. I would imagine they'd have to put some of those games on Twitch and try and get that crowd engaged in a different way. Whether whether that's there, you know, you have streamers involved in broadcasting it, or you have people commenting in real time. I don't know what that would look like, but that's you'd think they'd have to take advantage of that. I I do, I do, and I believe that's what the NFL wants too. The NFL, you know, very carefully starting with Thursday night football, which they've used as sort of a testing platform has has identified really before the other leagues that there was a group of fans not being reached. And so they, they used free streaming on Yahoo, which is sort of an imperfect solution because it's not necessarily, it isn't necessarily the, um, the you know, platform of choice or even like on the sort of consideration set for young fans. Wow. That's but, sort of my mother-in-law and her friends, yeah, but that's but Twitch is, yeah, but Twitch is, and um, um, Twitch also gets you connected to games and culture and any number of other things. Um, to me, in the same way that you you look at ESPN, and you say, "Wow, it's really great that the wild card game and the Pro Bowl is on ABC." Twitch also offers that sort of like broad, free distribution to an audience that's hard to reach. So uh, in the midst of COVID and the darkness and all this, the Amazon announcement for me was a thunderbolt, a really positive development. And considering the fact that the tech platforms tend to be competitive, at least with each other, they've raised the ante for everybody else. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a tech company or, or two come in for the NFL Sunday ticket, whatever the next, whatever right. the next. Whether, whether uh, that's YouTube or Facebook or, Apple or, or, yeah. or whomever else. And it could begin to usher in other players getting involved in sports. And that's going to be crucial because I, I, I don't see that the the sort of linear networks and the sports networks are sustainable in the same way long term that they have been for the last 20 to 30 years. The NFL and sports needs other entities who want to be in sports and make a business of it. Um, I'm influenced by a couple of things here. One, consumer behavior I've seen during COVID. And second, a little company called Eighth Wall that I work with, which is an AR company. My question is, why doesn't every TV ad today have a QR code? It's a good question because the, the pandemic has made the QR code so much more prominent and people are so much more accustomed to doing it. Um, it's funny, I, for, whether that's technically feasible, I'm trying to think out loud, I don't know, but you don't, I think there's also been a hesitancy to, we tried some interactivity with television ads, it hasn't really stuck. Yeah, no, I no, no, no. Friends of mine in the industry have said, "Well, what happens if we do it? <laughs> nice idea. What happens if we do it and it doesn't work?" But to me, the 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 attribution that's possible, the interactivity that's possible, I just see it as and your phone's in your hand anyway when you're watching I, those games. Exactly, your phone's in your hands anyhow. I see QR codes everywhere. You know, I I live in New York City, and so like you now use QR codes to 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 read menus. You know, yeah. maybe we'll go back to traditional menus, but in many places, I don't think so. Yeah. And 
it's long been a sense of, okay, well, how do I know this is working or how do I take advantage of it? So I, I believe that that QR codes is one place there's ripe for innovation. In Amazon's case too, you know, tying into all the commerce stuff that they do, it just makes a tremendous amount of sense. I could see drops of like, of, of new NFL merchandise or sneakers or other things being part of that experience. Um, I don't know if they still do it, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, QVC was doing like pre-NFL shows with merchandise and stuff like that. That kind of interactive experience could be taken by, um, by Amazon. And uh, Rich Greenfield made the point that, you know, Thursday Night Football is the number two primetime show after Sunday Night Football. So it gives Amazon a primetime uh, place to make a big impact in advertising. And they're kind of like the sleeping giant. Everyone talks about, and not, not that they're sleeping, but everyone talks about this duopoly between Facebook and Google around digital advertising. But Amazon is is in there and climbing. They're all of a sudden 10% and going and jumping fast. Right, um, right. And, and this... Um, I love the th the Thursday night because it's really the start of the weekend for for marketers, start of the weekend for sports. Good good place for Amazon. The NFL, I believe, is going to be motivated to have games that people watch there, and they're yeah, very. I want this to work. They want this to work. Um, so uh, innovation and advertising seems seems totally possible. And it could be, I can't speak for Amazon, but it could be that adding some interactivity to the TV ads possible on their platform would be less of a risk for them than, than, than it would be for, for other sort of direct ad sales forces that don't want to have to answer if it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I'm more optimistic, by the way, that it should work and that you, know, you, you have to continue to make these things better all the time. Yeah, I'm actually not that not that anyone cares what I think. I, I kind of hope that they use this as an experiment, a place to experiment. It's it's very easy just to sell sell advertising on the on NFL games. You could just do the same old thing, but this is the place if you want to if you want to go to a world where you get one ad and I get another one on my screen, and where it's, and it's for stuff I've shopped for. And I mean that could be really powerful if they pull it off. Yeah. Um, also, over over a decade to eleven year deal, I yeah. think they have time to continue to. To, to develop this and make this right. better. I want to jump around a little bit with sports and you kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, you made me think of it with the NBA and, and a lot of other sports. You have this weird conflict seemingly or counterintuitive trend where you, where it seems like young people know all these athletes and they all, you know, they share Steph Curry highlights and they're on house of highlights and they're following them on Instagram and NBA Twitter's huge. That doesn't, I don't think that translates to viewership necessarily or correlates with it. And I don't know that that makes these leagues nearly the money that they would like to. Is that just great marketing? Can anything be done about that? Like what, what do you, what do you make of that dichotomy? I see it the same way you do that. They have this great engagement with young audiences, but they're not making any money off that. It's great for the platforms. And so they're going to have to do over time, I believe what the game companies do is create virtual goods and other ways that one can interact with the sport. So 
Among other things, and you know, I think both both of us are New York Knicks fans, long suffering New York Knicks fans. You could do a whole hour on that if you'd like. I'm up for it. I, you know, listen. I would probably pay. I'd probably pay. You know, you know, essentially fifty dollars a year for some sort of subscription package around the Knicks that included customized highlights, some sort of some sort of access into the team, connection to the team. there are there are products that are going to be created. You have the rollout of blockchain social tokens. You have the NFT, NFT phenomenon. Yep. There are lots of things that are now sort of on the horizon that I think can come. One of the companies I work with is called WSC Sports, and they're an Israeli-based startup that uses uses computer vision and machine learning to generate and distribute sports video highlights. This is work that we had an army of people to do at ESPN. They still, you know, and and and, and the army of people still works at ESPN, but they now use WSC software. The NBA uses WSC software. And so video highlights that you see today are being generated in new ways through artificial intelligence. And yet, even with that going on, there's still, to me, room for new products that could be customized for Michael and John, delivered at a certain time, certain background, and potentially creating tiers of ways for people to pay. You know, John Skipper, my former boss at ESPN, he used to he used to say of he used to say of certain departments that they were in their office aggressively watching the phone. And <laughs> Our industry, sports, has like been in its office aggressively watching the phone, waiting for people to call with new with new um, new sacks of cash for right. for different rights packages. And the industry has to now do a little more work. It has to be innovative. But uh, in certain ways, while there's frustration that you have all this activity going on that you're not, you know, per se making money on. It also reflects the avidity of the audience if you can create ways to engage them and and sort of pay products that are relevant for them. I believe that is possible and that that will come. And in the case of the NBA, where the demographic is younger, um, that's an advantage. Just one little thing, just an example, I, I think, I mean, it's controversial, but to me, it's smart management is the NBA's play-in tournament which is going to happen next week. Okay. So this originated when the NBA did its playoffs in the bubble and they invited a set, they invited a set of teams and they essentially played down to create the 16 teams who played in the playoffs. And this year they've refined it. So basically 16 of the NBA's 30 teams make the playoffs and the play-in will involve 20 teams. So, so they want to keep things more, more interesting for a broader set of fandoms, right? Well, what's league. fascinating about what they've done is they have simultaneously done a bunch of things. The, the play-in essentially means that there are essentially 12 playoff teams, six in each conference, because four others then play playoff to create two slots. And it's a real competitive disadvantage to have to play one and done games just in order to get into the playoffs right. to then play against a rested team. You got to travel so again, more more energy, so, all that stuff. So you simultaneously expanded the number of teams who can play to get in the playoffs. You've, you've made it more valuable 
to be in the top six. So you've actually improved the quality of games the last couple of weeks because teams desperately people aren't mailing it in for that. You know, they're this, not mailing it in. Matter. You've also now totally squelched all the talk about tanking, which used to be a big fixture of the NBA regular season. Okay, well, like, should they win or should they just lose to be, get a lottery slot to hopefully get the next Zion Williamson? And and in the peculiar way this all this all winds up playing out, it's quite possible that the play-in tournament will will include a game next week between the Lakers, the defending champion, and Golden State and Steph Curry, you know, with a one-and-done game. And if that happens, they'll get a five rating for that game. And that's the kind of electric moment that sports needs to create. And what I love about what they've done is they kind of created it out of thin air. Like it didn't used to be that way. So oh, that, they weren't afraid to shake things up. Like you got to be, you got to be willing to try to things. To shake things up. And to me, that's what you have to do. Now, LeBron James says it's a stupid idea. Mark Cuban says it's a stupid idea. I respect both of those people. I'm sure neither one of them would be looking forward to playing in it. But I happen to think it's a brilliant idea and the kind of thing that not just the NBA, but all sports has to do. Right. Creating moments, creating um, you know, more value, more more electricity, more yeah. reason to care. I want, I want to shift gears a little bit, but you, it's kind of related to what we've been talking about with younger people and Twitch. Where where are you on esports in general? Like, I can talk myself into you know I will see um, some of the crazy numbers and when we had people going to arenas, they were packing places and different parts of the world. It's humongous. And then I'll see like, it seems like the buzz or there's a ceiling to some of these events. It's so fragmented. Do you think esports as a professional spectator sport is, are we looking at like the next, is this the NFL in 20 years? Is it the X games where it's a very niche thing for most of its life? Like, where do you see this evolving? I think it's somewhere in between. And I think it's intriguing and, and, you know, like <laughs> I'd be a buyer. The esports is 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 a really interesting sort of combination of the virtual and the physical, right? You know, you go to these arenas and people are watching other people play video games. You have all the trappings of sports. It's frequently confused or confusing because games is a huge business, a stupendously big business. Esports is not. But Esports is truly global competition among a ton of different games, constantly coming up with new ones. And uh, Rich Luker, who started the ESPN Sports Poll, which is now the SSRS Sports Poll, which to me is one of the sort of authoritative pieces of research every year, says that esports is the third most popular sport uh, among among age 13 to 35. So it's already, it's already has, has, has hooks and followings. As you said, it's very frag, it's very fragmented because your league of legends fan doesn't necessarily care about Dota or, or any, number. it isn't one sport. To be not, it's not one sport, but it's truly global. Um, I got to go to two League of Legends events in North America, and I was struck by 
you know, packed houses, you know, and in, in, in those cases, I think the tickets were like $10, but the audience was co-ed and different people dressed up as their heroes. It was, it was a happening. So I definitely feel like it's happening and developing. I'm skeptical about the sort of league simulation games, whether it's the NBA 2K League or others, like I, I think they should all do them. But as a friend of mine said, like I can watch Steph Curry play live. I'm not sure why I want to watch someone simulating Steph Curry. To me, what's going to be really interesting is, you know, is there a development of something that looks and feels more like League of Legends, say, than FIFA soccer. Uh, and that that may take, you know, are there sort of hybrid games that get that kind of get developed? Uh, I believe that's a significant opportunity. This summer, this summer, um, the new Space Jam game comes out. You know, LeBron James is taking Michael is taking Michael Jordan's role. There's a little company that I work with that David invested in called Bitfry Game Studios. And there they've developed a game for the Apple Arcade, um, which Space Jam, I think, is in certain ways based on. And the conceit of the Bitfry game is that any athlete can play any other sport. So in their NBA game, Alex Morgan can play on your NBA team. Oh, that's cool. JJ Watt can play on your NBA team. And it's like it looks like it, it looks like the kind of um, the kind of arcade games that I observed, you know, you know, 20 years ago or more. And so these things are going to continue to develop. It's also hard to it, 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 it's hard to say where one development uh, starts and one ends. So we look at Fortnite and the creation of like these sort of metaverse experiences where you're playing the game and you know, Travis Scott is performing in the game and it's a competition. Is that an esport or do we say that's a casual sort of, you know, game that people are playing? Some of these definitions will have to be adjusted in time. But last year, last year, in part because esports is virtual by nature, League of Legends set all kinds of audience records at least for at least for League of Legends even excluding the audience in China so it's, it, it's a real following I'm I'm bullish on the potential it may take a while to to develop and here's the thing in streaming world where we have infinite amount of streams and capacity if you and I don't care about it it doesn't matter none of these things cannibalize each other they're just different choices right the 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 scale of it could cannibalize sports and other entertainment. And I think we're seeing that. But when I deal with fans, they say, I, you know, who cares about, about watching people, other people play video games? Who'd want to do that? Well, obviously some people don't, but a lot of people do. And that's fine. Yeah. In, the, in the sort of linear, limited um, ecosystem that we grew up in, it would be a problem. Okay. Are you going to put the League of Legends game on or are you, or are you going to put the um, the Pro Bowlers tour? But in streaming, they're all just choices. Right. Yeah. And I've had that conversation with people. Well, you know, I sit around and watch people I don't know play basketball for hours and I'm really into it. So, I mean, I can, maybe it's not for you, but I, there's, it's not crazy to sit there and watch, watch no, amazing you're making gamers. An important point too. When you and I sit and watch the Knicks and Clippers yesterday, yep. we have no impact on the game. We, right. you know, whereas 
my children who might watch a streamer on Twitch, they can interact with a streamer. They can, um, they can, um, they can tip the streamer. Yep. They can learn to play the game better by watching the streamer play a game. Like I'm never going to be Kobe Bryant. No, it did not happen you know? to me yesterday oh, as I watched yeah. that. I got no better. Yeah. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I want to come back to your ESPN tenure because you're it's such an interesting time in digital media and digital advertising. And I just want to get your, get your thoughts on. I think you know when when you were running ESPN.com and those businesses. I think if I remember correctly, you. You guys wrestled with at one point, well, do we want to always sell everything ourselves? We want to get into programmatic, then eventually that evolved and you got into more to, to data and targeting. And yet you were early on first party. Now you have so many things changing all at once between cookies and what Apple's doing and regulation. If you were running ESPN.com now, what do you what do you hear from people in that world? Like, are we going to a world where it's gonna be more contextual targeting, less less precision? different winners and losers? Like, how, how do you think the landscape's going to shape up? It's fascinating to observe. I'm always like the student of the unintended consequence. So will it be that the Apple AT&T, um, the tracking opt-out or opt-in, will that mean that Facebook just gets stronger because Facebook already has this wealth of data for its own audience and everybody else is going to be more limited? Um, at ESPN, even with the huge audience you had, you didn't have the scale and don't have the scale of digital platforms. I see most of the growth going to digital platforms with their own sort of install base, you know, TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snap. We talked a little, a little bit about Amazon, um, TV companies, including ESPN, are sort of the last bastion of the direct sale. Advertisers, you know, very much want to be into major sporting events. So you'll see a lot of advertising on ESPN, including on ESPN Digital, because, because people want to buy these big, broad sponsorships that include lots of other, lots of other media, as opposed to just buying the media for itself. We've largely seen magazines disappear. I grew up, my dad was a magazine editor. I love magazines. I ran ESPN the magazine five years, but magazines with a couple exceptions are basically disappearing. And that advertising has been subsumed into digital media. You have podcasting, which is evolving, you know, which is emerging as, as a new platform. So I see... I see uh, it being a challenging time for television companies because although they have a brand and some compelling programming, traditionally, this has been about scale. This has been about price. This has been about ease of purchase. And television has never, has never sort of won on those three criteria. It's expensive. It's... Um, yep. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have the scale of of these emerging platforms and it's not as easy to buy with no. when, when some of some of it's still done. So, will, you know, will it continue to have its dedicated audience and 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 a, a logical place for big events? Yes. But I think it's, it's going to continue to be challenging and the innovation breakthrough market spend, I believe, is going to move to these 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 huge and ever expanding digital platforms just i mean just in the last year it's not an advertising platform yet i don't believe but 
just in the last year, look at all the discussion and activity on Discord, which is basically a um, basically a messaging platform. It's really started for really started for gamers. Could could Discord be a, a player in advertising? I think so. Yeah, you know, we've seen uh, we've that's seen an audience the, people would love to get in front of. Right, yeah. we saw the blow up last week between Roku and YouTube and Google and YouTube TV. Roku is a big player in um, in in connected television advertising, which is relatively new. I mean, Roku is a player there. That's you know the last five to ten years, but they become a big player. I do believe that home screens on these apps, on these connected TV apps is, is, is a big and powerful um, um, portal going forward. Because, you know, it used to be, again, used to be, why? Why was The Tonight Show so important? Because people watched The Tonight Show, turned off their TV set, turned on their TV set in the morning, and there was The Today yeah. Show. And there was a sort of, there was a- there The was lead-in a world, especially, yeah, it was, it was a big deal. Um, I did this presentation at ESPN before I left, and the presentation was entitled Input, Two has become input one. And the idea was that input two is where you put Netflix. And we thought like input two is death, like who could figure out inputs? But but once people figured out the input, all of a sudden they weren't turning on the set to see what was on ESPN. No, you go right to Netflix, which is the problem. Yeah, so I see lots of changes, but I believe that the... The, the platforms are growing, investing, and they're going to be the key beneficiaries. I want to make sure before we, we let you go here, let's talk about some of the investments you're making into this group you're part of. Tell us about 895th Avenue. Why is this trend happening with all these different kinds of, of investment firms bubbling up? And then maybe like, what, 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 do you, what do you guys have your eye on? So, um, um, through through David Stern, I met this fellow named Adam Rothstein, who's an investor, uh, who, who's a venture investor, and was a big investor in Israel, and was also the head of the board of a little company called Jack Pocket, which we invested in. Jack Pocket enables you to purchase a lottery ticket on your smartphone, and that's a, that's a big and growing business. And obviously, when you can. You don't no longer have to go down to the bodega. You can you can just uh, you can you 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 can get um, you can get to the mega millions on your phone. That's going to be a breakthrough. And Adam's a super smart guy. Last year, in the middle of COVID, Adam participated in three successful SPACs. And I'm defining success here by he was part of a syndicate that raised money that then went went public as a blank check company that identified a target company that then merged with that target company and did a DSPAC. And then the stock traded over $10, which is $10 is where SPACs start trading on the first day. So he did that three times. And um, he called me, Adam did last summer, and said that he had had an epiphany about SPACs. And the epiphany was that was that what if we created a SPAC that only had one financial person, that would be Adam, and the rest would be operating people and former operating people, people like me. Right. And so his, uh, his idea was, if you had business people, operating people, you'd automatically have deal flow because we're in the world and we know- Yeah, who, you hear about stuff, you talk to people. Second, we actually like to work, unlike some of the financial people he was working with. Right. And third, we could bring value 
to the DSPAC, to the target company. We could sit on boards. We could do business development. We could open doors. You know, we yep. we, we, we could be invested in in making in helping make. You're the not company. just writing a check and going home, like no, no, exactly. And it was super interesting to me because because of of who Adam is and the people that he might get involved. And the the SPAC is called 890 Fifth Avenue Partners, and the conceit is that's the mythical office of the Avengers and the Disney Marvel. Oh, okay? That's cool. I didn't, I didn't he pick up on that. And, he wanted to go and collect superheroes, so I was like his cartoon superhero for sports media, and okay. and so he's 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 gone, and and I think we're up up to like twenty people between the board and advisors, and they have a range of really interesting. Uh, uh, really interesting experiences and backgrounds. A bunch of them are international. For me, I thought there was so much froth and BS and SPACs last summer that I, my expectations were, were modest. But I felt like, okay, Adam's really smart. He's going to put together a really smart group of people. And I've enjoyed the experience over the last six to nine months, much more than I thought I would, the quality of the people and the thought process were focused on TMT companies. And at, at the moment, we have identified a target. We're being that we're a publicly traded company. I can't say anything more about that. So that's sort of where we are in the process. But what makes our opportunity, I think, unique is that Adam is a wicked smart public company guy, very, very disciplined in terms of understanding, okay, what do you have to look at? How do you have to structure these deals? What's, what is the, what's the nature of a company that could perform better, you know, as a publicly traded company versus a private company? And one of the real values of SPACs is that they can be quite effective as a roll-up strategy. So you have to have a company that is large enough to interest public company investors, but it doesn't necessarily have to have to be one company. You know, um, DraftKings really got this going by combining with a tech company called SB Tech. And now it's now it now it's a big popular public company. But um, DraftKings wouldn't have been able to do that merger as part of an IPO, but they could do it as part of a SPAC. So this is a, it's a way to put together a bunch of pieces rather than just one big IPO, one big deal or something. Correct. And unlike an IPO, you can tell a future, you can tell a a a future story here. You know, it, it's it it can be at least the way the rules exist today. You can talk about about where this company is going to go with its earnings in the next couple of years and why a roll up can make a whole bunch of sense. And I think we're in an era now where media companies, the definition of a media company is going to be much different than what was than what was before. And it's going to make sense to combine different companies that if you looked at them individually, you say, well, that's nice, it's cute or whatever, but combined with the right management could create something brand new. So, um, and, you know, there's obviously been you had this you had this complete explosion of all these spacs and now that has really quieted down. I was going to ask, does that matter to you that it was it crazy or not? Be, it actually might be better for us 
in that we have a certain approach. Um, we believe we have a compelling reason to exist. And there's there, there, you know, we've identified a market and we're doing what we told our original investors we were going to do. So it's possible that as the wheat separates from the chaff, it could be better for us. I always worry that, you know, you get these sort of boom and bust cycles and you throw the baby out with the bathwater. But the the nature of SPACs and the ability to create new publicly traded companies, um, if everything about it is a good idea and 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 is done with quality people, I believe we have a real shot there. And if we're able to do the the um, the target company, we will likely announce a second SPAC immediately. There's there right. there's so the, the hype cycle won't matter if you execute well and and, and right you know, right and, 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 and frankly that's the only kind of business that I'm comfortable with. The beauty of working at ESPN for years was great company, great product, and we could focus on trying to build something that we thought fans wanted. And we really tried. We got involved in a lot of different things, but we really tried to focus on you know what we what we saw the the market being so um i i wouldn't want to get involved with something i didn't understand or couldn't lend my name to so um i'm you know i'm relatively confident that um that um we are going to be successful and the experience uh, of working with a ton of other smart people uh, has been really rewarding and is probably part of the new path going forward because corporate jobs are not necessarily the same as they were when we were getting started. You have to, you, you know, you, you, you know, the the individual really has to be um, conscious of um, of how you operate now. Like I've taken an independent path. I don't think that's that's going to be that unusual. You know, my LinkedIn fills in every week with people who've left other big jobs. So, you know, the ability to figure out like what you're going to do and how you can bring value, that's um, here to stay, I think. Well, now we're all dying to know who you guys are buying, but it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. Um, Let's close it on this because this has been terrific conversation. We can go in a million different directions. I appreciate but, it. Um, who is going to be the next Amazon to step up and grab some sports rights in a significant way? Let's Apple, YouTube, Facebook. I'll throw in even Epic Games for Fortnite or something. Like who? Who do you think? Who would you predict is next? Or maybe all of them? I kind of think all of them. And and although although people will 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 disagree with me vociferously. I believe Netflix at some point will get in. Interesting. And I also think that Netflix will also at some point offer advertising and that the one, the one ad in a Netflix show will be among the most valuable real estate for marketers. Yes, possible. they will line again, up for that one. <laughs> again, there's not a long line of people who agree with me on either of those things. I like but, that. Um, That's a controversial mic drop to end the, end the show here with. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, John, awesome conversation. Love the stuff. Thanks for talking. Thank you, thanks Michael. for taking the time out. Good talking to you. Okay. Take care. Be well. A big thanks to my guest this week, John Kosner, president of Kosner Media, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.